Well, I wonder if you've ever heard of Niall, Zane, Liam, Harry and Louis. They're the members of the new boy band, One Direction. They only signed a record label last year, but already they've become household names, especially if your household has teenage girls in it. <laughs> Wherever One Direction go, they're swamped by mobs of screening, screaming teenagers, girls giddy with excitement over the, the possibility of meeting their heartthrob. But I reckon the love of the screaming thousands is fairly shallow. One Direction probably only has another year in the spotlight and then they'll be forgotten. <laughs> At the moment, love with them's intense. <laughs> uh, but it's not going to last. Next year, a new singer will take their place, just as they've replaced... Um, anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but this isn't the only shallow relationship, is it? There's that joke about the man who decides to throw a party. He invites all his friends. He advertises months in advance. He hires out a room at the local community centre. The night approaches and everything's ready. The problem is no one turns up. Not one person. The man scratches his head and, and tries to work out what went wrong. After all, he'd invited all 500 of his closest Facebook friends. Facebook friendships are known for being shallow, aren't they? Facebook's a great way to stay in touch, to see what old friends are doing, but it's not very deep, is it? And when you think about it, our lives are full of shallow relationships. Online, there's Twitter and Facebook, where we can follow people and like what they do without actually seeing them. In the real world, we want friends we can spend time with perhaps in a club or a team of some kind. But we care for how much time we actually give them. In the business world, we're busy making networks. We don't want to make friendships, just networks. We're only interested in what we can get from each other. In our love lives, we're looking for Mr or Mrs Wright, the one who's going to compliment us perfectly the one who's going to let us reach our potential, the one who's going to inspire and energise us. And yet we can't seem to find them. And so the breakup in Australia, sorry, the breakup rate in Australia is as high as it's ever been. And then there's the idea of church shopping, looking for that church that's going to meet all my needs, which is going to make my family happy. Our relationships today are often shallow and fake. They're like that artificial sweetener, saccharin. Apparently, saccharin's 500 times sweeter than sugar, but it has no calories. It's perfect for fizzy drinks and putting in your coffee, where you want a nice taste, but without any substance. Well, often our relationships today are like saccharin. We love with a saccharin love. They look so good on the outside, but when you dig down, there's not much there. But today we're going to see a real relationship. A relationship that's been in the making since time began. And if you truly understand this relationship, 
then it can't leave you unchanged. In fact, it'll revolutionise your relationships with other people. Of course, nine weeks ago, uh, we started our sermon series called The Bible Storyline Project. We're looking to plot the big picture of the Bible. And here's what's happened so far. In part one, uh, we saw how God created the world and made it perfect. We had a perfect relationship with creation, each other and God. But then in part two, we saw how Adam and Eve rebelled against God. We became separated by sin and all those good things which God had given us became tainted. In part three, we saw that even though we rebelled against God, he was committed to restoring our relationship. God promised Abraham blessings, land and people. In part four, we saw that uh, the start of that restoration plan. And in part five, we looked at the law God gave, a law that would bring great blessings or terrible punishments. In part six, everything looked good. God's people Israel were going well. And we thought, perhaps this is it. Perhaps God's restoration promise has been fulfilled. But it didn't last. The problem of sin was still there. And so in part seven, we saw how God's people couldn't follow God's law. And Israel lost what they had. Then last week in part eight, we saw how despite our unfaithfulness, God was still committed to restoring us. And we saw God's plan to take care of the penalty and the power of sin once and for all through a new agreement. Well, today we're going to see the fulfilment of this plan, God's commitment to restoring our relationship. Everything that we've seen so far has been leading up to this point. This is the great climax of the Bible storyline. And as we look at it, it'd be great if you had your Bibles open. 1 John 4, 9. That's page 863 in the small print Bibles and 1902 in the large print. Well, despite God's commitment to restore our relationship, up till now it's just seemed hopeless. At least from a human perspective. Time and time again, people's sin kept them from God's blessing. Instead, bringing on them his curses. The people just couldn't obey God. They just couldn't do it. And you and I can't do it either. In fact, left to our own devices we wouldn't even try and turn to God. We're that corrupt. Sin's too big a problem. And because it's such a massive problem, it needs a massive solution. A solution that only God can provide. And a solution that would prove beyond a shadow of a doubt his great love for us. Have a look at 1 John 4.9. 1 John 4.9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. So you see, to restore our relationship with God, God sent his own son, the son who he knew and loved for all time in every detail. The relationship between father and son 
is so deep, so perfect, you can't imagine it. This is the son God willingly sent. Jesus who was born as a human into a dirty, restrictive and broken world. But now because he came, we can live through him. What makes God's love so amazing is that it was completely undeserved. And God took the first step. We didn't prompt God to send Jesus. God acted first. It's like a young child who sees that another kid's upset and for no reason but love goes over and gives them a hug. But we're not talking about two-year-olds here. We're talking about the eternal God giving up his divine son, giving him up out of his presence to come into the murkiness of this world. This is love at a whole new level. But God's love is even deeper than that. Because Jesus didn't just come to live with us, he came to die for us, as our representative. You see, a rebellion against God must be punished. It must be punished through death. Death under God's curse. We've seen that throughout the Bible storyline. And when Jesus died on the cross, he was punished in our place. He was the one who could stand before God and represent us as a race. And the punishment that was meant for us went on him instead. It's what the Bible calls an atoning sacrifice. And it shows just how deeply God loved us. Look at verse 10. Verse 10. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I watched a movie once called To End All Wars. Uh, It's based on a true story. Uh, It's quite graphic and shocking, but the story stuck with me very clearly. It's a story about British soldiers uh, in a prisoner of war camp. They get captured by the Japanese in World War II. At one point in the movie... Some of the soldiers rebel. They're led by an officer who's full of anger and his rebellion is vicious. Well, the rebellion fails and as punishment, the rebels are executed. One of the prisoners, Dusty Miller, who hadn't been part of the rebellion, steps forward. He asks if he can take the place of the leading officer. The Japanese commandant had been given a copy of the Bible and had read about Jesus. He decides that he'll allow it, but that Dusty is to be crucified. It's a gut-turning act, an incredible act of sacrifice for someone who doesn't deserve it. And the parallels are obvious, aren't they? This is what Jesus did for us. He died in the place of someone else. And yet we have to say that Jesus' sacrifice was so much greater than Dusty Miller's. I mean, the scale was so much bigger. Dusty died for one man. Jesus died for all humanity. And Dusty was just a man. But Jesus had been with God the Father in eternity. The world had been created through him. And yet he gave up his position to save us to die in utter shame. And Dusty 
well, he died for someone on the same team. But Jesus, well, in God's sight, sight, we were the most undeserving of all. In fact, the race that Jesus came to die for helped to kill him. Now, that's real love. That's sacrificial love. God doesn't love us with a saccharine love. There's nothing fake or shallow about it. It's not some love that that seems good but doesn't deliver. No, God loves us with sacrificial love. A love that needed God to give up his own son, his one and only son, to save people who hated him. And this love that God showed us at the cross demands a response from us. We can't experience this love and and not be changed by it. When we understand what God's done for us, we have no choice but to respond, not only in faith and praise, but also in the way we act, in sacrificial love for each other. The fact is, being consumed by God's love drives us to love one another. This is what John says in verse 11. Have a look with me. Verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Do you get it? In the same way God loves us, well, we now to love each other. When we love each other, the effects of our relationship with God show in our lives. Christians love each other with God's love, not our own. And this love reveals God's character. Even though we can't see God, when we love each other, God can be seen through us. Our love is proof of our restored relationship with him. And we only fully understand God's love when we love each other. It's like learning to drive. Uh, I'm teaching someone to drive at the moment. Now, you can read the rule books from cover to cover, but until you actually sit behind the wheel and do it, the rules don't mean very much. They come alive when you practice them. And you can't get your licence until you drive with an instructor, until you show that you know the rules. This is what John says in verse 12. When we love others, we show our relationship with God. We show that God's love means something to us. Have a look at verse 12. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So what does real love look like? Well, when John tells us to love one another, he's talking about people in the church. The church is the family of believers, those God has called into relationship I wonder sometimes if we treat church like another one of our clubs. We come because we want something from it. We want to worship God or we want to hear the sermon, but we don't want to know the people. We don't want to be involved. The church is much more than a club. We can't love each other with a saccharine love. We must love each other with real love, with sacrificial love just as God loved us. So how do we love each other with real love? What does it look like? 
Well, I've got 10 snapshots, 10 different ways to describe real love. I base them off 1 Corinthians 13, our second Bible reading for tonight. Uh, so have a look at this a bit later on. Okay, 10 snapshots. Here we go. Snapshot 1. Sacrificial love is patient. It loves that person who annoys us. It leads us to continue to, to talk and to care for them. It has kind words for that person who just seems to have endless problems. Compare that to saccharine love. It only lasts as long as the other person interests us. It won't drive us to uh, put up with people we, we don't already like. It, it's shallow and we don't want to think this way, do we? We want to be patient. That's point one. Sacrificial love is patient. Two, sacrificial love is forgiving. In his kindness, God forgave us. Sacrificial love lets us forgive and then serve each other. We don't have to hold on to our feelings of hurt. Isn't this so different from worldly saccharine love? Saccharine love has trouble forgiving because there's no way to forgive. We can forgive because we've been forgiven. I wonder if there's someone here tonight who's let you down. Someone who's hurt you in the past and perhaps you're still holding on to that hurt. Do you need to let God's love wash over and through you so that you can forgive them? Snapshot three. Sacrificial love serves quietly. Sacrificial love doesn't serve to be seen by others. Sacrament love does. It wants to draw attention to itself. It wants to be recognised for all the hard work it does. But real love is about service. Do you serve because you want to serve others? Or do you serve to be noticed? Point four. Sacrificial love is submissive. It knows that the church should be growing in godliness and so it causes us to focus on that. Saccharine love wants to change others so that they do things our way. It wants church to be full of people like me. After all, I know best what the church should be like. We're not happy until the church sings this particular song or does that particular ministry. Saccharine love makes us angry and frustrated when church doesn't turn out like we hoped. Sacrificial love lets us focus on what really matters. Five, sacrificial love keeps going. It keeps on keeping on. It serves past the point at which we get fed up. Compare this to saccharine love. It eventually runs out and we become irritated and full of resentment. It complains that we're on the supper roster again. Sacrificial love doesn't mind. It welcomes the opportunity to serve again. Snapshot six. Sacrificial love cares. Sacrificial love causes us to focus on other people. We want to see others growing godliness. It means we'll use the prayer diary. It will means we'll ask each other hard questions. 
Saccharine love is completely different. It's focused on me. It doesn't care what the other person does. As long as it doesn't affect me, it doesn't matter. That's not what the church should be like at all, is it? So that's point six. Sacrificial love cares. Point seven. Sacrificial love doesn't take advantage. It causes us to work together, to cover for other people's weaknesses. Sacrament love is self-centred. It causes us to point out other people's weaknesses so that we look good. This is really common in Australia. We do it all the time when we joke. So as Christians, we need to be careful that we build each other up, covering for each other's weaknesses, not pointing them out. Eight, sacrificial love is trusting. It's not naive, but it gives people the benefit of the doubt. It wants to see the best in everyone. Saccharine love is wary of being mistreated. If someone's let us down in the past, saccharine love is careful that it doesn't happen again. Sacrificial love lets us relate openly. It lets us lower our defences. Snapshot nine. Sacrificial love hopes. It knows that one day God will restore all things and it endures patiently until then. Compare this to saccharine love. It gives up if things seem too hopeless to change. Real love has real hope in God, a hope which drives us on. Finally, point ten. Sacrificial love endures. It allows us to keep loving each other. Saccharine love can't last forever. It's based on what we can put into it. It's a human love, and eventually it it has to fail. But real sacrificial love comes from God's love for us, a love that can never be depleted. God showed us real love. Love that brought Jesus amongst us. Love that led him to the cross. This love now fills us. And while we wait for Jesus to return, this love should drive our every thought, feeling and action. This is the love that drives us to fill in meal rosters, to give our money to missionaries, to get to church early to set up, to teach kids in kids' church and youth group, to serve on the committee of management and to come to prayer meetings. We don't love with saccharine love. We don't love with the world's love. We love with sacrificial love, with God's love. Friends, God has loved us. Let's love each other. Let's pray. Lord God, Thank you that you loved us, that you had a plan to restore our relationship. Thank you that Jesus came, lived with us and died for us. Thank you that your spirit fills us with love. Please change us so that we don't live like our culture, that we don't show shallow saccharine love, but real sacrificial love. Please strengthen us to continue loving until Jesus returns. 
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.